I think that's it. All right. We're going to jump right into our text this morning. And, and so go ahead and make your way to the book of Matthew, chapter 25. Today, uh, we will finish chapter 25 and uh, wrap up Jesus' Olivet Discourse that began back in the beginning of the verses of ch- uh, chapter 24. Recall that uh, the disciples, uh, in the beginning of chapter 24, they asked Jesus in verse 3, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And this, in this Olivet Discourse, it's called the Olivet Discourse because they're on the Mount of Olives. Uh, Jesus has addressed yet to happen future events that are connected to the signs of His coming and of the end of the age. And today, we will conclude our study of the Olivet Discourse as we cover verses 31 through 46 in a message that I've entitled, Future Judgments. Okay. Uh, Let's go ahead and stand as we read this morning's text, and then we'll ask God uh, to bless our time together uh, and to lead us through His Word. Matthew chapter 25, uh, verses 31 through 46. Matthew 25, 31. Jesus is speaking, He's continuing, speaking to His disciples. He says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, Then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him, and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave Me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Verse 37, Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and and did not minister to you? And verse 45, then he will answer them saying, assuredly, I say to you, Inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would be with us this morning as we go through your word. May you lead and guide us, and may you open our hearts and our minds and our ears to receive all that you have for us this morning. Lord, I do... Uh, just pray that uh, everyone that comes in this place, Lord, will know your presence is here, will sense it, and Lord, that we will all come with an anticipation that you're going to speak to us here this morning. And so, Lord, prepare our hearts to receive all that you have. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Our text opens in verses 31 through 33, uh, describing an event that happens when the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, and He takes His place upon the throne of His glory. Obviously, we have before us an event that is yet to be fulfilled. Okay? Uh, Jesus has not returned to the earth with all of His angels, and He is not sitting upon a throne of glory here on earth. 
And so uh, we know that Jesus is currently, He is at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And He is making intercession for us and waiting for the Father to release Him, to come for us, His bride. So we know that this, this description that we have before us, it is a description of an unfulfilled event, a yet future event that Jesus is speaking of here. Now, some commentators have tried to label this as a parable. They say, oh, this is a parable. Uh, I don't really think that it's a parable because there's nothing within the text that suggests that it is a parable, that it should be a parable. You know, we don't see Jesus use any metaphorical language like uh, the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to, as he did in verse 1 of chapter 25. And, and nor do we see him indicate that this parable, uh, that this is a parable like he did in verse 32 of chapter 24, when he spoke about the parable of the fig tree. And he said, when he said, listen to the, now learn, learn this parable from the fig tree. Okay. Nor do we see Matthew, the author of the, the letter that we have before us, this book of Matthew. Uh, we don't have Matthew describe this as a parable like he does elsewhere when he said things like, then he, talking about Jesus, then he spoke many things to them in parables like he did in chapter 13, verse 3. Or later on when he said, another parable he put forth to them saying in chapter 13, verse 24. And he did said the same thing again in uh, verse 31 and similarly in verse 33. And so we don't see Jesus call it a parable. We don't see Matthew call it a parable. And he doesn't use any metaphorical language. And so uh, because of that, uh, there's no evidence that really suggests this to be a parable. So we must look at it as an actual event that is to take place in the future. And so we do want to try to identify the subjects and the details Jesus gives regarding this future event. Okay? First of all, Jesus gives to us a very clear time marker for this event. Okay? It, it will happen when the Son of Man comes in His glory. Okay? Uh, this event will coincide with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Okay? This, his, his physical, actual return to earth as the king. Okay? Second, we notice that this is a gathering of nations. Now this is important. Okay? The word nations here in the Greek is the word ethnos. It's where we get our, our English word we say his, uh, someone's ethnicity. Okay? Ethnos is a word that's most often associated with the Gentiles. Okay? Uh, the word ethnos speaks of all who are not Israelites. Okay? It doesn't always indicate Gentiles, but I do believe here that this is indeed a reference to Gentiles. This gathering of nations is a gathering of Gentiles. Okay? Notice as well that these Gentile nations are separated into two groups, just as a shepherd would divide his sheep from the goats. Uh, one group, those likened to the sheep, okay, will be set on his right hand, while the other group, those likened to the goats, will be on his left. Okay. Following along so far? All right. As we've already read the entire portion of Scripture, we are aware that the intention of this separation is for judgment. Okay. Some will be judged as righteous, as indicated in verse 37, and others will be judged as cursed. Sorry. Sweet. Um, why eighteen forty-seven? Small blue car parked across the street. If you could give your keys to Neff, if you are that person, we need to move your car. Why eighteen forty-seven? Small blue car. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Neff. All right, back to where we were at. <laughs> so we have the two groups. One group on the right, they're, they're indicated as righteous. Uh, they're, they're likened to sheep. Uh, the other group on the left, uh, they are uh, judged as cursed, as it says in verse 41. The Bible makes mention of future judgments many times. And some have combined 
uh, all the different scriptures that speak about a future judgment into one general judgment that will happen to all people. I believe to do so is a great mistake. The Bible gives different details for different judgments. They happen in different places, they happen at different times, and they involve different people. To lump them all together into one general judgment would show great ignorance in regards to what the Scriptures teach about future judgments. And so what we're going to do today is, my first point is, we don't want to be ignorant in regards to things that are, are... mentioned in the Bible, right? I think we can all agree that we don't want to be ignorant of things that are in the Bible. When the Bible gives us the details that are needed to have an informed position, we need to have an informed position. Okay? We don't need to be uh, ignorant of those details. And it's interesting that on four separate occasions in the New Testament, uh, there is a du- it directs us to not be ignorant of certain things. Okay? In Romans chapter 11, Paul indicates that we shouldn't be ignorant of God's plan for Israel. Okay? He states, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so he goes on to talk about God's plan for Israel. That basically they're blind right now, that God's working within the Gentiles, but He still has a plan. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. You know, and it's interestingly enough that there are many today that are unaware of God's plan for Israel. And some even go as far as to say that God is done with Israel. Okay? That, that the church has taken Israel's place. They call it replacement theology. Okay? And this doesn't line up with Scripture. Okay? Uh, that's a different study. We're not going to get into replacement theology and that kind of stuff. But just as, a, as an indicator of something that we're not to be ignorant of, and yet we see that there's some ignorance uh, about God's plan for Israel. In 1 Corinthians, Paul, again, he states that he doesn't want us to be ignorant, this time in connection to spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, he says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. And yet, this is an area of great division within the church. An area that we would say there's got to be some ignorance. There's so many different people in so many different camps in regards to the gifts of the Spirit. And yet Paul said, don't be ignorant about these things. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says he doesn't want the church to be ignorant of the great persecution that he and those with him endured. In uh, chapter 1, verse 8. And lastly, and it's what we're going to focus on today, okay? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul again declares, I do not want you to be ignorant. This time, he's speaking about details regarding the rapture of the church and what will happen in the last days. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and he goes on through verse 18, talking about the rapture and end times events. And so he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about these things. Okay? And yet, here again, I do believe that we see an area in the church where there is much ignorance, much division in connection with end-time study. And there's people that are all over the place. And we've gotten a lot of things mixed up and a lot of things confused. And and sometimes it's difficult to put it all into perspective and properly uh, align everything. And so, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about end times and events that will be associated with the end times, and with the second coming of Jesus Christ. We've been paying a lot of attention towards that in the last uh, two chapters of Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25. We don't want to be ignorant of something when the Bible gives us details that we can be aware of. And so, it's with that in mind that we're going to do something a little bit different today. It's a little bit more of a topical study. We usually go verse by verse through, and we will go through... Matthew uh, 25, verses 31 through 46. But uh, today, what I want to do is I want to take a closer look at the future judgments mentioned within the Bible. And as, this is why, as I was studying for myself for the, the, the verses 31 through 46, I found that I myself was not extremely certain and how all the different judgments in the Bible would play out. 
I knew that there were different judgments that uh, were to take place, but wasn't exactly certain as to the details of the different uh, judgments. And so I sought to gain a better understanding of the different future judgments mentioned within Scripture myself. And I thought, this is something that the church needs to know uh, as well. And, And so... Today we will spend uh, some time reviewing what I was able to find and and put together. You know, as a pastor, I've been given different responsibilities of which involve uh, teaching and preaching the Word of God. Okay, And and there's a difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching most often is associated with heralding or proclaiming the gospel message, while teaching involves explaining and clarifying the proper meaning of biblical text and ideas. And so today... I will mainly play the role of a teacher. And you are all my students this morning. Okay? And so if you are a note taker, I would encourage you to get ready. Okay? Uh, get your paper out and your pen out. If you're not a note taker, I would encourage you to maybe start being a note taker. Okay? Uh, or to try and just follow along as best as possible. Uh, please hold all questions to the end of service. You can come ask, talk to me afterwards. But uh, prepare yourselves as a, as a student. Okay? And my intention is not just to, to bog you down with a bunch of information, information as much as it is to, to make sure that we are not ignorant of, of things pertaining to the end times and specifically the judgments that we read of in connection to the end times. Okay? So it's going to be a little more academic today. I apologize ahead of time if you're like, oh, I, don't, I finished school and I don't want to go to school. Okay? Today's going to be a little bit of school. All right? Hopefully you don't sleep during school today. All right? In the portion before us, we have what is commonly referred to as the judgment of nations, or sometimes it's referred to as the judgment of the Gentiles. Okay? Now, depending on who you talk to and their interpretation of Scripture and how they divide things up, there are, there are, there are at the very least, okay, three different future judgments that are easily seen and recognized within Scripture. Okay? Some go as far as to characterize five or even seven different judgments. And we're going to spend some time exploring these different judgments this morning. Okay? Again, uh, it will be, as I mentioned, more academic than what we normally do. But I think it's important and worthwhile to spend time, uh, a little extra time here this t- uh, on this topic today. We're going to look at the future judgments from a chronological viewpoint. And we're going to try and identify... Where, where, where are the details of this portion of Scripture found? Okay, so I'll give you some verses. We want to we highlight who the subjects are. Who are the people that are being judged? Okay, and then we're going to look at the time. When does the time take place? Okay, uh, we're going to look at the place. Where does it happen? What kind of location is it described in? We're going to look at also um, the uh, reason for the judgment. Why, what are they being the basis for their judgment? What are they being judged on? And then lastly, we're going to look at the results of each of those judgments. So we're going to look at these different judgments and try and identify all those different things for each of them. And we're going to notice, we're going to see that they are distinctly different. That they're talking about different times and different places, different locations, uh, uh, different people. Okay. Chronological viewpoint, whether you divide the future judgments into three or five or seven distinct events, doesn't change the fact that the, these judgments all seem to happen within three general times. Okay? One uh, is after the rapture. Okay? The second is at Jesus' second coming. And then thirdly is at, uh, excuse me, after the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. The first judgment that we will consider is referred to as the judgment seat of Christ, or the Bema seat of Christ. The mention of this judgment is made in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hey, the phrase judgment seat is actually one Greek word. Uh, the word is bima, and that's where they get the name that sometimes it's referred to as the bima seat judgment. Okay? Uh, the people involved in this judgment 
They are only believers. Okay? Only believers. Paul, in writing to the church, he said, We, including himself, along with the members of the Corinthian church. Okay? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay? The timing. The timing of this judgment is debatable. Okay? Some say that this judgment happens as soon as you die and is ongoing throughout the church age. Others suggest it happens all at one time, where, where all the church is gathered together. I believe that the timing of this judgment is all at once for the entire church and that it coincides with the rapture of the church, right after the rapture of the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 Verses 16 and 17 declares, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up. That word caught up is where we get uh, the word rapture from. Okay? They will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. At the rapture, the dead in Christ will rise. All those that have believed on Christ, that have trusted in Him for their salvation, and died before His coming. Okay, that's all the dead in Christ. Okay, from the first century church to the present, they will rise first. Okay, then we, again Paul indicates that this was for him and the church, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And it is at this time that the church will all be present before the Lord. Okay. The place that this judgment takes place is before the judgment seat of Christ. Okay, presumably somewhere in the air, as indicated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, as we'll all be caught up together with Him in the clouds in the air. And, and so we have here... The judgment seat of Christ is the location of where this takes place. The basis for this judgment will be our works. Okay? Our works are going to be judged. 2 Corinthians 5.10 said, We will appear before the Bema seat and receive things according to what we have done. Okay? Our works will be tested by the Lord. And this testing of our works has nothing to do at all with our salvation. Okay? Nothing at all. We, uh, our salvation is set. Our salvation is secure in Christ. This is not a judgment uh, towards salvation or unto salvation at all. Okay? This testing, rather, will determine what we will receive. Okay? What this judgment will be, look, will be like is de described for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. If you want to turn there, you can, but we have the verses up here. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15 says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, Wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. For the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire." Okay, At the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be tested by fire to see if they were really done in sincerity as unto the Lord. Okay? Things that were done selfishly or things that were done with the wrong motive or the wrong intentions, they will be burned up like wood, straw, and, and hay. Okay? Those that were done in a pure heart, as unto the Lord, they will be like gold, silver, and precious stones that are actually refined and made to shine within the fire. And so we have here a distinction between rewards that will be received and gained and rewards that will be lost based upon 
our actions and what we've done. Again, it has no tie whatsoever to our salvation. Okay? We are with Christ. We are set. We are secure. However, okay, there's going to be, our works are going to be tested. Okay? Those works will be rewarded by Jesus Christ. Okay? Uh, you will either uh, be rewarded or you will have a loss of the reward. The, the work that you did will kind of not count for something because you didn't do it with the right heart. You know, oh, I went to church, but I kind of went to church to meet this girl. Or, you know, whatever it may be, you can have different wrong motives sometimes in regards to what we do uh, in the name of Jesus or, or for the church. And so uh, some of those works will be burned up. Okay, And, and you're not going to get... You know, you're not going to lose your salvation. You know, you're going to be saved. It's just, you know, as by fire. You know, you're going to have a plume of smoke around you. You'll make it, but uh, all your works are going to be burned up. The very idea of the Bema Seat, it actually pictures for us the place where judges would sit during the Grecian games and, and the victors would be brought before them to receive their laurel wreath crown. Okay? Uh, that's what they called it, a stage or a platform where uh, a judge would sit. It would be called the, the Bema Seat. Okay? And so that's the picture being brought here, uh, being displayed here. Nobody would be brought before the judge in the Grecian games and then be punished. Oh, you were too slow, and, and then they get whipped or something like that. That wasn't what happened. They were brought before the judge, and then they re- were rewarded if they won. You know, first, second, third place, whatever it was, they would, they would get a reward. And that is the picture here. Okay? Likewise, at the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be punished. Okay? It's not a punishment. It's not a judgment towards punishment. Okay? Again, our sins have already been punished when Christ took them upon Himself at Calvary. This judgment will only determine the various rewards that can be presented by Christ for those that faithfully follow the Lord. You know, the scripture actually speaks about different types of rewards that we can get, uh, like crowns and uh, other things. We won't go into all the different types of gifts, but just to know that there's rewards. We're going we're gonna to get rewards when we get to heaven based upon what we did. Some of them are specific uh, towards martyrs, or some of those are specific to pastors and teachers, and some of those are specific to uh, evangelists. And, and so we have different crowns that are going to be given to different people. Those are rewards. All right, understand the judgment seat of Christ? We're going to move on to the next judgment. The, the next judgment on the chronological timeline somewhat coincides with the judgment seat of Christ. While the church is in heaven, heaven, having their works judged by Christ, the rest of the world will be going through a time that we, we call the Great Tribulation. The Great Tribulation, or it's called lots of different things. It's called Daniel's 70th week, or the, or the time of Jacob's trouble. Okay? Uh, they all speak of the same seven-year period that will be seen as a form of judgment upon a Christ-rejecting world, and specifically, Israel's rejection of God. Okay? The seven-year tribulation is directly connected to Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, Verses 24 through 27. Daniel said that there were 70 weeks that were determined for the people of Israel. It's it's connected to Israel. But that after the 69th week, that the Messiah would be cut off. Uh, And and that there would be a final one-week period that would later be fulfilled. Chapter 9, verse 27 talks about that one-week break. Uh, this one week period was a period of years, and so we understand it to be speaking about one seven year period of time. Okay. This period of time is also discussed in Matthew 24. You guys may recall when we went through Matthew chapter 24, verse 21, it's describing the great tribulation. It states, For then there will be great tribulation, such has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. The details of this tribulation and the judgments that are poured out are also described in the book of Revelation. Actually, from Revelation chapter 6 
all the way through chapter 19. It describes the different judgments that are going to be poured out upon this world. There's going to be seal judgments and trumpet judgments and bowl judgments. All of these things are part of judgment that's going to happen during this seven-year time period. Okay? Now, some divide the events of the tribulation and the result that will come after the tribulation as two separate judgments. They say the great tribulation is a judgment, and then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, there's another judgment. We're just going to combine them into one judgment and follow it out here. Okay? As we've already mentioned, the great tribulation will happen to all unbelievers. Okay? Uh, but it's directly connected to the Jewish people and their 70-week prophecy. Okay? It's going to happen to everybody, but the connection is to this 70th week that's been determined for the nation Israel. Again, the time frame is that it spans seven years. Okay? That one's an easy one to figure out. Okay? Okay. During these seven years, you guys... Uh, it is not going to be, as Matthew rightly says in verse 21 of chapter 24, it's going to be the worst time ever on earth. Okay, If you read through some of the details in the book of Revelation, uh, billions, billions of lives will be lost during the Great Tribulation. Okay? According to Revelation chapter 6, verse 8, a fourth of the earth will be given over to death. Okay. After that, in Revelation chapter 9, verse 15, angels will be, re- will be released to destroy a third of the remaining population. Okay. If you do the math, okay, so you have a, a hole and you take a fourth of it, you're left with three-fourths, right? That makes sense. Okay. And then if you're going to have angels that are sent out to, to, to judge one-third of the three-fourths, following still, Okay, one-third of three-fourths is another fourth of the entire population. And so when it starts to these two judgments here, half of the world's population will be destroyed. Okay? And, and the crazy thing is that uh, over half the world's population will be destroyed, and it doesn't even count the hundreds of millions that will be lost in the Battle of Armageddon. Okay? Uh, the, the Earth's population, I, I know it's somewhere over 7 billion something right now. I don't, it's changing, I'm not so sure, but last I checked. And so we're th- 3 billion plus, nearly 4 billion lives that will be lost during this great tribulation. Okay? It's not a good time. Okay? It is not. I've, heard, I've talked to people. That think, oh, if the great tribulation happens and the rapture happens, then I'll just, you know, I'll just give my life to Christ then and there. <laughs> you know what? It's gonna, it's harder to 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 make that decision then than it is to make the decision now. Okay, and, and you don't want to wait till that time. This is going to be a very, 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 very bad time on earth. Okay. The, du- the judgment will take place. The location is on earth. Okay? Our, our study of Matthew 24 seems to indicate that the epicenter of this destruction will be in Jerusalem. As we go went through 24, it, it said, you know, when you see the, the abomination of desolation happen at the temple, then flee, you know, run away, get as far away from Jerusalem as you can because it's, it's going to get real bad, real fast. Okay? This judgment is based... Upon the basis here is is the world's rejection of God and particularly Israel's complete rejection of God. They had rejected God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, all of which they rejected. Now, this is where it gets a little interesting. What comes of the Jews after the Great Tribulation is it's interesting to consider. There will be people that do live through the Great Tribulation. And when Christ returns at the end of that seven-year period, He will deal with them. At which time, I believe, and this isn't always a popular opinion, so I won't preface it with my opinion as my studies led me. I believe Christ will judge Israel separate from the rest of the world at this time. There will be a judgment for Israel. The reason I believe that is based upon what Ezekiel says in Ezekiel chapter 20. 
Okay, Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 34, uh, 35, it speaks about a future time that God will gather together all of Israel from the nations where she has been scattered throughout the years. And, and verse 35 states, And I will bring you into the wilderness of the peoples, and there I will plead my case with you face to face. A couple verses down, it continues, I will make you pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. I will purge the rebels from among you, and those who transgress against me, I will bring them out of the country where they dwell, but they shall not enter the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This future judgment and, and, and personal examination described in Ezekiel, I believe, will be performed by Christ upon His return at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Okay? The prophet Zechariah okay, describes a time where they will look upon the one whom they pierced and they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Okay? I believe that a great deal of Jews will believe upon Jesus Christ when they see Him come. They will realize they pierced their own Messiah and they will put their faith in Him. But, as Ezekiel states for us, there will be some rebels among them. There will be those who transgress against the Lord and they will not be permitted to enter into Israel. Okay. What happens after the Great Tribulation is that Jesus Christ will set up His kingdom and will reign a thousand years. There's going to be a, a millennial reign, a thousand year reign at His second coming. Those Jews, here's the result of this Great Tribulation and specifically in connection to the Jews and the Jewish nation. Those Jews that came to faith in Christ will enter into the millennial reign of Christ. Those that were rebels and transgressors against the Lord will not be permitted to enter into the kingdom. They will be destroyed. Just, okay, so that, that's the tribulation. And, and specifically, although, although the effects are going to be seen throughout the world, there is a definite connection to Israel. And just as Christ judged the Jews that were still alive at the end of the tribulation when He returned, so He will also judge those Gentiles who survived. The description of this judgment is what is in our text this morning. Okay? The judgment of the nations. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And so we're going to go back in here uh, to, to the book of Matthew just for a bit here. Uh, remember that Jesus is talking about an event that will happen when he returns. Okay, it's a, a he. The location is he will be upon his throne of glory, not the judgment seat. It's upon a throne of glory this time, and he has separated the nations, or as we look, that word separating the Gentiles into two groups, like a shepherd sh separating his sheep from the goats. Let's read verse 34 through 40. It says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and, and feed you or thirsty and give you drink when when did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you or when did we see you sick or, or in prison and come to you and the king will answer and say to them assuredly i say to you and as much as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren you did it to me okay the king jesus christ speaks to those on his right hand and He invites them to take part of the kingdom prepared for them from the foundation of the world. Okay. On what basis does this invitation stand upon? Now, verses 34 through 36 seem to in indicate that it will be based upon how they treated the Lord. We just read, read those verses. It's, you did all these things for the Lord. Okay. But, but we have to be careful here. 
Okay, we have to be really careful here. All throughout Scripture, we see that salvation and entrance into the Lord's kingdom has always been based upon faith and not of works. Okay? And so we don't want to all of a sudden switch our theology and say, oh, well, it, it changes after the tribulation. You know? Now you're, you get in based upon works. No, okay, that's not how it works. Always. From the very beginning to the very end, it's always based upon faith. And so we don't want to try and connect their works to uh, this basis, okay? How do we interpret this portion then? Let me suggest to you, okay, that, that, that these works of kindness, they are not the elements of their salvation, okay, but simply evidence of their salvation, okay? They, 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 the saved Gentiles that come out of the, the tribulation will be identifiable by their works, just as we in the church ought to be identifiable by our works. Okay? How do we know for sure? Well, let's look at verse 34. If you look back at verse 34 with me. Verse 34 says that those on Jesus' right side were blessed of His Father and that they were to inherit the kingdom. It's important wording that He's used here. Okay? The, they were receiving this invitation as an inheritance. You don't earn an inheritance. Okay? It is simply given to you based upon your relationship with someone. Okay? You, you have a family member, an elderly a family member that, that maybe passes and they leave behind to you an inheritance. And, and it shouldn't be based upon you know, your works. It should be, hey, your family and you get this because of the relationship that we have. Here Jesus said that these people were blessed of His Father and that they were receiving an inheritance from Him that had been prepared since the foundation of the world. They did not earn this entrance. It was not based upon their works that they got this. It was given to them based upon their relationship with the Father. As children, that they received an inheritance. Okay? And so we can be sure that those on the right side, they're not saved because of their kind works. Okay? But because of their relationship with the Father. Okay? Those kind works are simply evidence of that relationship. Okay? In verses 37 through 39, the righteous are they're a bit perplexed as to when they did these kind works unto the Lord. And in verse 40, the Lord declares... Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. You know, the scriptures encourage us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24. Uh, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Okay, when we do things for others, when we serve them or help them, when we minister to them, we are to do it as unto the Lord. That means we do it with every bit of effort and love as we would if we were doing it to the Lord Himself. When we're we're changing diapers in the nursery, we are doing it as unto the Lord. I wonder if Mary got tired of changing Jesus' diapers. You know he did do that, right? Okay? He was a baby. Okay? But she probably, you know, she did that. Okay? And, and, and when we serve the Lord, okay, sometimes we can get our eyes off of the Lord. And we can start doing things for the wrong reason. Or we start to think, well, I need some, I'm not getting any respect around here. Or why doesn't anybody acknowledge the works that I've done? We just, you know what, that's the wrong heart. We just do it as unto the Lord, as if it was the Lord that we're serving, as if it was the Lord that was there in those children's ministry class that we're loving on, and as if it was the Lord that we're bringing a meal to, to bless. We do it as unto the Lord. Okay. Looking at this here, we can't say for... There's, a, there's an, another people group that's mentioned. Okay? And we can't say for sure who the brethren here are. Most commentators suggest that there is a connection to the Jews. And I actually agree. The word brethren can speak of countrymen, 
which is, in this case, what Jesus' countrymen would be the Jews. Okay? Perhaps, uh, speculation, okay? perhaps the Jews that were previously judged by the Lord are in view as they enter into the millennial kingdom. We can't say for sure, but it seems to fit. They both happen, both these judgments happen at his second coming. When he comes, he's going to judge Israel. He's going to bring them together. One by one, they'll pass and, and he'll judge whether they're uh, transgressors or if they were rebels or not. And at the same time, then he's going to turn to the Gentiles and he's going to judge them as well. And so perhaps when he references my brethren, uh, it is in connection to uh, the Jews. Okay? Consider... Um, the fact that anti-Semitism will be at an all-time high during the Great Tribulation. Okay? The, the anti-Semitism that will take place during the Tribulation will be uh, higher than any other time period. You know, it'll make, I don't know, I'm not going to compare it to the Holocaust, but you think of the Holocaust, the anti-Semitism that was going on during that time, it's going to be even greater than that. Okay? And so, if it, it will be very difficult to stand up for and protect the Jews during this time. Indeed, many who do so will pay for their kind deeds with their very life. As Revelation speaks of those who will be beheaded during the tribulation. Okay? Because they won't take the mark. They won't associate with the beast. And they will be there uh, with the Jews. The hunt, Well, we're getting into a little rabbit trail. Okay? But this will be a very... Bad time for the Jews. Okay? And if someone were to, to care for them and help them provide food or drink for them or clothe them or, or help them when they're sick, that would be seen as a significant work. Okay? A significant uh, um, offer of ministry to them. Okay? And so perhaps there's a connection here to that. Okay? And again, we can't say for sure. That's a little bit of speculation. We don't know specifically who the brethren are. I do think that it is the Jews. Some suggest that maybe it's connection to the church, you know, how we treat Christians. Uh, but if we're looking about this happening right at the, the second coming of Jesus Christ and what they did kind of be, during that seven-year tribulation, the church isn't going to be around during that time. Okay? They'll be in heaven being judged at the, the Bema Seat. Okay? And so, uh, because of that reason, I kind of think it better fits with the Jews. Now, some people say, maybe it's just general mankind. You know, the brethren. Perhaps. But I think the distinction here between the Gentiles and the Jews uh, points to the Jews uh, a little bit better. Alright. After that, Jesus then turns his attention to those on the left. Verse 41 through 45. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Here we see that those that were on Jesus' left, they were sentenced to depart from God, and enter into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Again, here, just as we saw with those on the right, there is a connection to kind deeds done to Jesus' brethren. Those on the left did nothing for Jesus' brethren. Okay? Their lack of works showed their lack of faith. There was no connection to them. There was no connection to Jesus nor his brethren. And their punishment was twofold. They were to depart from the presence of Christ and they were to enter into the everlasting fire. Okay. Notice something with me here. The everlasting fire was not prepared for humans. It was prepared for the devil and his angels. God does not want any man to enter into hell. 
It was designed for the devil and his angels. However, however, if a person wants to align himself with the devil and go there, God will allow him to make that choice. He doesn't desire him to do so. He's made a way for man not to do so by sending his son Jesus Christ to pay for the penalty of our sin. But if someone wants to reject God's provision and join with the devil in rebellion against God, then a man can, by his own choosing, spend eternity separated from Christ and in uh, hell, this place of everlasting punishment. Okay, now some people like to say it's really not everlasting. You know, it's only going to be for a season or for a time. Guess what? The word where it says everlasting punishment and eternal life, it's the same in the Greek. And so if we're going to say that the everlasting punishment is minimal, then we have to say that our, our uh, eternal life is minimal as well. And I don't, I don't think we're ready to say that, right? This will be an everlasting punishment. And unfortunately, many will choose to align themselves with the devil rather than submit themselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Verse 46, we get the result of this judgment of the nations. What was the result? The end result is that those that demonstrated their faith in Christ entered into the millennial reign of Christ and eternal life. Those that enter into the millennial reign, they will all be believers. There will not be any unbelievers that enter into the millennial kingdom. Okay? And so all those that demonstrated their faith in Christ, they'll enter the millennial reign, they'll have eternal life, while those had, that had no faith, they were sent into everlasting punishment. Okay. All right. There's a couple other judgments. We're running out of time. But we're going to look at them, okay? There are, uh, some separate some of the judgments into smaller groups than necessary. Chronologically speaking, the next judgment that will come after the millennium will be the final judgment of Satan and his angels. We're not going to look into the details of that one, though. Uh, if you want to read about it for yourself, you can do so. Read about their destruction. It's in Revelation chapter 20. Okay, Revelation chapter 20. Uh, basically, the devil is going uh, to be bound for a thousand years during this millennial reign and then released one last time to fool all those born during the millennial reign. So what's going to happen? Everybody that enters the millennial reign is going to be believers. But they're going to procreate. And they're going to have kids. And those kids are going to have kids. And then and some of them... They're not saved. They're not, they're not just born into salvation, right? Just like from the beginning to the end, it's going to be based upon their faith. And so Satan will be released one last time, and he will succeed in luring some to himself. Okay? And he will mount an attack against Jesus, but Jesus will put a quick end to his tactics. Afterwards, the devil and all his fallen angels... They will be cast into the lake of fire to be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20, verse 10 tells us that. Okay? So the, the, the Satan, uh, the, the beast, the false prophet, all of his demons, they will be cast into... That's a, a, a judgment. Okay? We didn't look at the details of that. Okay? But this one leads us to our final judgment found in the book of Revelation chapter 20. Verses 11 through 15. And it's known as the Great White Throne Judgment. Okay? Probably you've heard that term before. Now, what I want to do is actually turn there, if you can. Turn to Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to read verses 11 through 15. Uh, and, and look at the details of this judgment. We want to notice uh, who are the subjects. Who, uh, where does it take place? When does it take place? What's the basis? We're going to answer all these questions. Because a lot of people think, and I think erroneously, that they're going to go through the white throne judgment. Okay? Let's look at what Revelation actually says. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. Remember that the book of Revelation is John. He's been brought up and he's given this picture, this insight into the future and into the scene, uh, the scenery of heaven. And he speaks in verse 11, he says, Then I saw a great white throne... And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. 
And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The great white throne judgment. Hey, we're we're pulling into home. Okay, we're sliding in. All right, stick with me here. All right. We see here from verse 12 that the subjects of the great white throne judgment are the dead, small and great. Meaning, you know, when we say someone, oh, they lived a, you know, uh, a great life. Well, they died. Okay? Or someone, we may say, they, they, they were a nobody. They didn't do anything. They're small life. Okay? Small and great, all who have died, everyone who's died, they will be there. Okay? These are all the people that died without faith in God. Okay? From the very beginning of time until the end. Okay? I do not believe, I do not believe, Christians will be judged during the great white throne judgment. And that is not a, a, a universally accepted uh, teaching. But based upon the fact that Christ was already judged for us, and based upon the fact that we've already been judged at the Bema seat of Christ, it seems a little redundant to be judged yet again at the great white throne judgment. We've already been, we've already been judged, and we're reigning with, with Christ uh, during the millennial reign, and so it doesn't make sense for us to be judged again at the end of the millennial reign. Okay? The time of this judgment will be after the millennium and after the destruction of the devil, his demons, the beast, and the the false prophet. It will even be after the destruction of the earth, described in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20. That's why there's no place for them. It says that the earth and the heavens were fading away because they were dissolving away, and there was no place for these dead. Something had to happen to them. This is where it gets a little tricky when trying to identify the place of this judgment. Obviously, it is before a white throne. Okay? But where that white throne isn't exactly clear. It would seem that the old heaven and earth have passed away, but the new heaven and earth has yet to be created, which is described in Revelation chapter 21. And so it's kind of in this in-between spot. There's the old heaven and earth has been passed away, but the new heaven and earth hasn't been created yet. So where are they? I don't know. Suffice to say, we'll just say it's before a great white throne. That's the location. Okay? The basis of judgment here is connected to books. Okay? You guys notice that? Uh, there seems to be, at the very least, three books. Verse 12 says that the books, plural, were open, and then another book, singular, was open. Okay? The one singular book is identified for us as the book of life. The other books, we can't say for sure, because we don't know how many there were. Uh, It's just that there was more than one, is what we know. One of the books is a book that has all the works of the dead within them. Or perhaps it's multiple volumes of books that have all the works of the dead written within them. And that, again, comes from verse 12. Although it doesn't say it here, I am very confident that another one of the books will be the Word of God. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. And so I believe the words of Jesus, the words of God, will be there as one of those books that are opened up, and it will be used to judge those dead The result of the great white throne judgment is in verse 15. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now it's interesting. The fact that they even pull out the book of life during this judgment lends me to believe that there will be some whose name is in the book of life that will not be cast into the lake of fire. And as I thought, who could that be? The only people that I can think of that would possibly fit 
that description would be those that are born during the millennium that come to faith in Christ. Okay, so their their mother or father were believers, but they were born and, and they still need to be judged. And so if they were a believer there at the end of the thousand year reign and they go before the white throne, their names will be written in the book of life because of the faith that they uh, expressed in Jesus Christ. One other possibility that some say is maybe Old Testament Testament believers. I'm a little not so sure, to be honest with you. I studied it. Uh, Old Testament believers, they, they, when they died, they would go to a place called Abraham's bosom. It was part of what, uh, uh, basically, Hades was two different parts. They had Abraham's bosom, and then they had the place of torture. We see the picture of that in a parable with Lazarus and the rich man, where the rich man's being tormented, and Lazarus is a place of comfort. And some say that the Old Testament believers remain there until the millennial uh, is done, and then the old Hades gives up their dead. It refers to possibly those Old Testament believers. Also, there's other things that we may indicate that Jesus Christ, when he was crucified, he went down into Hades and he took with him captive uh, those, and so maybe not. But for sure, there has to be a judgment for those that were born during the millennium, and, and so I believe those that are uh, written in the Lamb's Book of Life will be those people for sure. All right. That concludes uh, the different future judgments. Okay? After the great white throne judgment, there will be a new heaven, a new earth. God will make all things new. He will wipe away every tear. We will dwell with Him uh, for all eternity. There will be no need for the sun or the moon or the stars. The light from the Lord will light uh, everything up. It will be glorious. It will be awesome. There will be no more sin. There will be no more devil and no more judgments. Okay? All right. Today's study, as I mentioned, was very academic, but I hope that we can still walk away with some things, uh, some application. And as I consider the future judgments, I know that I won't be part of some of them, most of them, okay? But I still think that we can learn from them, okay? I have every confidence that I will be part of the judgment seat of Christ, okay? that I will be uh, there either raptured to be with the Lord or I will be those that are dead in Christ, have died in Christ, and we will be caught up together with the Lord and my works will be tested before the Lord. You know, and, in that, and, and believing such motivates me to run so that I might win a prize. You know, we're going to be rewarded. Okay? I, there's a little bit, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little competitive. Okay? I like to play games. Okay? And it's like, there's rewards. I want to get one. Okay? I want to get one. I hope that you guys want to get one too. Okay? My wife doesn't like that I'm competitive. She's like, why can't you just play to have fun? And I said, winning's fun. So that's why I'm playing. Who likes to play to lose, right? You know, I know we won't glory in our rewards after all. You know, after we receive those rewards, those crowns, it tells us that we're just going to cast them at Jesus' feet and worship towards Him. But I still want to have some. Okay? I want to be able to cast some before the Lord. Okay? And so I want my works to be like gold. I want them to be like silver. I want them to be like precious stones that will withstand the heat. I don't want to be the guy that's covered with a bunch of smoke as he enters into heaven. Woohoo! I made it. I got nothing to show for it. They all burned up. Okay? I want to have some crowns to lay before the Lord. Having a a proper understanding of just how bad it is going to be during the tribulation ought to scare us all straight. It ought to have such an effect upon us that we make certain that we are right with the Lord before that day comes. I want to learn from the, the judgment of the nations that everything I do should be done as unto the Lord. And that people should know that I am a Christian based upon my actions. And lastly, as I consider the great white throne judgment, I'm just grateful that my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm not going to have to go through that. I'm not going to have to worry about it. If for some chance we are present for that, we're not judged because our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. I'm so very grateful for that. And I hope that you are as well. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for this morning. And thank you just for... Uh, this time, and I know that it's a little bit more uh, head knowledge, a little topical uh, 
a little different than what we're used to. I hope and pray that everyone here is able to glean something, Lord, that everyone's able to, to understand a little bit better their, uh, what's going to happen at the end. Lord, uh, there's going to be lots of different judgments. But Lord, you've not uh, appointed us to judgment. You've taken that judgment for us. Lord, we're going we're gonna to be, uh, our works are going to be judged. Um, Lord, may they be found to be like gold and silver and precious stones. Lord, we know that we can't do any of those works in and of our own selves. And so, Lord, we pray for your Spirit's empowering, leading and guiding in our life. May we uh, serve you and honor you in a way where people know us and see us. And they say, that guy's different. That guy, that gal there, she's, she's different. Uh, because of what you've done in our life and what you're doing in our life. Lord, may we, as we serve, may we be uh, those that do it as unto you. Now, we wouldn't be men pleasers, but that we would be focused on pleasing you. And Lord, we do give you great thanks that because of the, the work of the cross, because of the abundant grace that you've poured out upon us, our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. And Lord, we are secure in that. Lord, I pray that we would just be blessed by those truths. Lord, lead and guide us the remainder of our, uh, this week to come. Lord, I, I hope to see uh, your people uh, here next week, uh, if not Wednesday, throughout the week. Lord, bless them, I pray. I ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we're not going to close in song this week because I've already kept you 10 minutes too late. So forgive me. I, I, I wanted to get through this and I wanted to be able to, you know, we don't want to be ignorant, right? We want to we know what the Bible teaches and what it has to say. And I thought, you know, the Olivet Discourse is finishing and we're, we're going to be moving in and transitioning to no longer really focusing on end times. We're going to be looking at the last couple days of Jesus Christ's life. Recall, this is Tuesday of the Passion Week. And so just a few days from now, Jesus Christ is going to go before the cross. So I saw this as an opportunity. I hope that you were blessed by it.